Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, who is just up here and all of our staff and pastors. So glad that you made it out with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Come on like you mean it and you're happy to be here. Say three times. Um, here's why. As I know when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. Sometimes, how many of y'all know, like sometimes the pasta just wasn't made right. You know, sometimes the server wasn't done. Sometimes I forget my mic. It's just crazy. So uh, just come back, check us out at least three times, and hopefully we can be your spiritual family. That's kind of what we call. I want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live as well. So glad that you're with us. We have, uh, honestly, hundreds of people who check in and, and uh, actually uh, follow us along the digital land. And so we're just so glad that you're with us. If you are on Facebook, will you do me a favor? Take out your phone right now. You can have your phone in shirts. It's all good. And uh, check in on Facebook and let everybody know that you're here. There's a little check-in button at the top of your Facebook status kind of feed area and let them know that you're here. We found that's been a great way and a great tool that actually connects our church uh, to some of your friends. And some people want to go check out Rise and they might come check out because they know you're here. And so we've seen that a lot. So make sure you check in. Let everybody know that you're here. We're in the middle of a series called Who Am I? Everybody say, Who Am I? And the reason we're doing this is because I've been in ministry for almost two decades now, and one of the main questions I get asked and one of the issues that we see a lot is people's identity. Who am I in Christ, and what am I called to do, and what's my purpose in this life? And we, ask, we get asked this question a lot, honestly, on staff. And so we wanted to look at the Bible and see what, who did God create us to be. We want to discover who God created us to be. And so we're in the middle of a series right now doing that. We're doing small groups and having a great time just talking with our teams. And I've heard nothing but great things from our groups who launched last week about really going through this book called Who Am I? And uh, we're kind of just talking about that over the next several weeks. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 18 today. 1 Samuel is in kind of the Old Testament. It's kind of in the first part of the Bible if you're new to scripture. And uh, you'll find it's really a, a great story and starts off a lot telling a lot about the story of Saul, David, and Jonathan. And that's kind of who we're going to talk about today. And so um, just some context before we start reading, because I kind of like everybody know where we're at. At this particular time in Scripture, David had just uh, defeated Goliath. Anytime I say David, many more people, even if you're not a Christian in here, you probably know who David is. If you hear the David and Goliath story, it's used in pop culture all the time, and uh, you probably hear of it. And so this has just happened, this battle with the Philistine we know as Goliath, who was large and big, and he was you know, insulting to the army. And, uh, and so David goes out, and you might know this story if you don't. He, he goes out, and he throws a rock and hits Goliath in the head and kills him, and what most children stories and children's church don't talk about is that he actually goes out and then cuts his head off and brings it back. So that's kind of a little graphic. Some people might not know about that, but it's pretty awesome. You should read the Bible. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of crazy. It's like the weirdest story you you'd ever find. So it's pretty cool. And so I would go back and read it, but he had just had this moment of victory and Saul is the king in that time. And so he's coming back and David is, is with Saul. David works, kind of works for Saul. And so David goes back and he brings it back to Saul. And then this is what kind of happens post this giant giant moment. We'll have a third character that comes in who's Jonathan, who's Saul's son and the rightful heir to the throne of Saul. Kind of, he's supposed to be taken over. And so this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. And it says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, which would be Goliath, women from all towns of Israel came out to meet the king Saul and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. That's important. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. This was their song. Saul has killed thousands and David has 10,000. In verse 8, it says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000 and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making them their king. Have you ever had this moment where like a fear jumped into your heart and then you followed the thread all the way down to the nth degree? 
right? Like, so I'll give you an example. You know, you showed up and your kid get, uh, gets a splinter, right, in his hand. And you're like, oh my gosh, what if he gets infected and his finger falls off and then all of a sudden he has no hand, right? <laughs> this is what happens. So that's kind of what, what happens with Saul. So from that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now we're going to skip ahead a couple of chapters. So we're going to talk about, he has this discourse with Jonathan and Jonathan has this moment with his dad trying to figure out what's wrong with Saul and why he doesn't see things for what they are. And he goes on in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. So he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Again, I told you the Bible is kind of graphic. That's, that would be said in another way in our time. Just a heads up. I'll just leave it at that. So, all right. And so don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame. So he's the son of Jesse, he's David. You've sided with David to your own shame, to the shame of the mother who bore you. You're not only shameful to yourself, you're shameful to your mama. He called, he talked about his mom. And so, all right. So then he's like, as long as your son, the son of Jesse lives on this earth, as long as David's alive, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He said, you're not getting it, Jonathan. You need to be afraid like me. Be scared. Be freaked out. Start being territorial. He says, now send someone to bring him to me, for he must, he must die. Like, okay, so now he's just elevated it to the furthest point. And he said, why should he be put to death? This is Jonathan asking. What has he done? In verse 33, it says, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So you see kind of two moments, two types of people in a story of victory. You have two types of people. You have a Jonathan type and you have a, a Saul type when it comes to seeing somebody do something great in your life. And the question you have to ask yourself at some point is who are you going to be? What type are you going to be? Are you going to be Saul or are you going to be Jonathan? And that is kind of the rundown of, our, of our, 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 the theme of our message today. And if you're taking notes, it's going to be this. It's who am I when I'm compared to others? Who am I? When I'm compared to others, am I going to be a Jonathan or am I going to be a Saul? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I'm honored to be in your kingdom and, and be a part of your church. God, this is your church. This is not my church. I pray that your spirit would speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I, I prepared a message, but I know you got a message for each and every one of us, individually unique. May our minds be open, our hearts be ready to receive in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know what's funny about, um, you know, I think life is that even at an early age, we struggle with comparison. Have y'all remember back in school, the infamous kickball game? Y'all remember kickball? Does, does there, did anybody, raise your hand if you played kickball in your life. Raise your hand. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just saying the word kickball has already brought anxiety to somebody. <laughs> because there's somehow, there's no reason for some, I don't understand why we couldn't just pick teams in some other way than lining everybody up. Come on. Y'all got to feel me in this, right? This is a, like, y'all got to go there, all right? I want you to remember, when you were lined up against a fence, and you stood next to somebody, and you did your first, you know, comparison, you compared yourself, then they picked captains, and I was never picked a captain. Does anybody not, like, does anybody share this pain? I was never the one to pick people. And then I was never the one picked. And I'd be standing on the fence trying to hold it up, basically, while everyone else was picked. 
They picked the fast guy. They picked the cool guy. They picked the guy who had a talent. They picked the guy who would kick the ball instead of just watch it walk by. They just, they picked everyone else. I was never picked. I was the guy always, always in the end. I was the last person. Was anybody the last person like me? Anybody? Always. I was the chunky last kid who was never picked. And then they would always fight at the end, not over me, but who would get me. You take them. You take them. I don't need them. You don't take them. And I, it wouldn't matter. I'm like, and at that point, I knew. Come on, y'all. You remember? One of the times I remember I was in lunch, and um, I, I, I had my, my mom used to make lunch for, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, and she put my sandwich in bags. And what was interesting is she always put my sandwich in these, like, fold-over sandwich bags. You know what I'm saying? They look like this. Does anybody, has anybody ever had a sandwich in a fold-over sandwich bag? You know, I will buy you, I have, I have issues with these bags. Come talk to me, I will buy you a bag of other bags, because these are terrible. And uh, my, my mom used to use these bags. I come to find out later, my, my, the reason we had them is because my dad liked them. Like, there was no reason, you know. But I, in my mind, had pictured we had it because they were cheaper, or we couldn't afford the real bags, or whatever, you know. And, and so I had my bag, and I loved the bag until one day. I went to school and I saw and I opened up my back and it was, you know, my Superman backpack thing. And I took my thermos out and pulled out my sandwich and I took out my sandwich and I put my bag down. And my friend goes, why does your bag look like that? And I was like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? It's a sandwich bag. What's it supposed to look like? And he pulled out. Come on, like y'all don't know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> he pulled out this bag. And uh, it's like the Ziploc, the seals in freshness, you know, and he pulls this bag out. And, you know, when he pulled it out, it would have been like he pulled out like a cape or something or like a million dollars. He's pulled it out. Like, this is what I'm talking about. And then he opened up his bag and y'all know what I'm talking about, the sound. OK, I'm going to give you the sound. If you don't know what this is. OK, this is this. I still remember the sound. Was, that's the sound I heard. I still hear it in my dreams and my nightmares. I talked to my counselor about it. I, that's stinking bag. And so, you know, he he. He, he opened up the zipper, and I was like, oh, it zips in the freshness. And I was looking at the bag, and I'm like, and I pulled up my bag, and I looked at that bag, and I was like, my bag's not good enough. It wasn't until I compared my bag to his bag that I felt like my bag was inferior, that it wasn't good enough, that there was something wrong with it. Come on, y'all. It wasn't until I, I looked and I compared, I, com I looked at my bag and I looked at, what, I looked at what I had, I looked at what he had, I determined in my mind that his was better and it made me feel worse about what I had. Now that doesn't happen to any of you in here that I see on social media. But other churches deal with this, right? Other people we struggle with this lose-lose, no-win battle called comparison. doesn't matter who you are. It's the human condition. When I say comparison, this is what I mean. Comparison for us is to measure or highlight the similarity or dissimilarity between two things. Like you're looking at what you got, and you're comparing it to what they got, and you're highlighting the good or the bad. And, and the problem is in this comparison game, there's no winner, it's a losing battle. And in social media world we live in today, it's easier than ever to do it. You're able to see what your neighbor has. You're able to see what your neighbor's cousin's uncle's friend from two years ago who didn't knew him from Chipotle one time knows now. Like, seriously, you ever get those like, who's this? I don't even know this person. 
You ever do that? How many times do you do that on social media? I don't even know this person, but man, that looks cool. I wish I had, come on. I wish I, wish I had, I like what Teddy Roosevelt said. He said, comparison is a thief of joy. That if you want to struggle with joy, if you want to struggle with anxiety, with depression, with fear, with panic, if you want to be really, really, really insecure, completely compare your life consistently all the time every day. That that's the, the beginning of it. In fact, we talked about measuring up last week. We talked about insecurity. That it all really starts with comparison because you can't know, you can't really be insecure unless you compare your life with others. You can't know where you don't measure up unless you measure, right? And then you focus all of your identity on it. And the danger is, is if you don't get, and I don't get this right, here's the main danger. This is the biggest thing, and probably the theme of our series or, or the message today is that we will never be who God called us to be if we're comparing ourselves to who God called others to be. Like if you're always comparing your life and what God called them to do to what God called you to do, you'll only be second best. That's, you'll never be the, you're not doing it, you're not genuine to what God called you to do. It's what Saul ultimately struggled with. And we need to get this right. So in the time I have left, I want to give you three ways, three, three ways to kill, uh, three stops to kill comparison. Three ways to get over comparison because we can't have that in our life. It can't be running unchecked in our spirit. You'll never get to what God's purpose is for your life. So three ways, three stops to compare, uh, to killing comparison. The first stop that we need to do as Christians under God, stop devaluing others and celebrate them. Like at some point, you got to stop devaluing what other people do on a consistent basis. When you, because when you compare, what you try to do is you try to find a reason why they have that, and it's always negative. Have you ever noticed that? Like they didn't get that because they worked hard. They got that because they were they knew the guy. And if I knew the guy, then I would get that too. And you're because you're because you're comparing. Look what First Samuel chapter eighteen verse six says. It says, "When the victorious Israelite army was turning home." Returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women of the towns Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. It's Bible talk, for they threw a party. They celebrated. They were excited. Something good had happened. And the person who should have been celebrating the most should have been Saul. It was a reflection of his leadership. He could have taken that as like an amazing accomplishment, amazing moment for the Israelite army. He could have been the guy. Come on. He should have been the one financing the party. He should have said, man, you got that. Let me give you this. We need to celebrate. This is amazing. He should have been the first one to post on Facebook, David's amazing. Tag. Hashtag. We win. He should have been the first one. And yet you see him finding himself sulking, sitting back, talking about it, worried, devaluing, criticizing. Come on. Instead of celebrating who he really was, and instead of being critical of David, he, he should have been celebrate, celebrating David, and he didn't. He had a critical spirit. So the question you have to ask yourself ultimately is, do I have a critical spirit? Because comparison gives us a critical spirit all the time. You're always criticizing. You're always looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the negative. You're looking for something. Has anybody ever secretly felt good when something bad happened to someone? Come on. You saw it on Facebook, and you were like, uh, I'm not going to say anything, but it kind of made you feel, come on, that the evilness inside of our heart sometimes, the heart is even and wicked. I mean, you just, you don't have to, the Bible talks about that, but you don't have to like, the Bible doesn't need to say it. We prove it to ourselves all the time. It's because when we compare our lives to others and we, we have a critical spirit and the easy manifestation of, a, uh, uh, out of comparison is often criticizing others. 
And so you, you, you got to ask yourself, are you the critical one? Are you negative? I want you to think about this for a minute. Are you a negative person? Are you, do you complain a lot? Is your first response um, like upset, unsatisfied? Are you whiny? Like when somebody, something happened. Come on, come on. Like, uh, what doesn't it ever happen to me? Why is it never happened to, come on, y'all, me? And you're, you're, you're critical. And then when you see it, you're like, gosh, I know who they really are. They don't deserve that. I know what happened in that story, really. Why did God bless them? I don't get it. Like, oh, you're like become a valley girl all of a sudden. You're like, oh. You're just like, what's wrong with you? You should, you should be celebrating others. We should be celebrating instead of devaluing and criticizing and walking around with a critical spirit. Is that you and your family? Is that you with your friends? Is that you with our church? Can I just speak on behalf of her for a minute? When you walk in and you just got something to say about everything, coffee's not right, coffee's too hot, coffee's too cold, music's too loud, music's not loud enough, Pete Preacher talks too much, he has too many stories, his hair looks weird, I don't know what's wrong with his shoes, he has dumb things, he doesn't say the right verse, he doesn't have the right scripture, he doesn't have the, come on, the church doesn't do this, we talk about this too much, it's too much about this, and we're going to, come on, because you're comparing, what you're doing is you're comparing it to the last church you didn't like either. Not that I've ever had that conversation. <laughs> I have that all the time. Like people, are like, man, I hate that church. That church did this and did this and this and this and this and this. And you know, man, it's like, you know, you know, can we do? It? And then they try to convince me to do all that. I'm like, but you left it. <laughs> Which because you're comparing. Because you're, you're you're comparing. And, and and we need to learn to celebrate others. So how do we celebrate others? Because really, celebration is the way we we is the antidote to comparison in our life. The way you celebrate others is you remember God celebrates you. Now, why does God celebrate you? You have to remember this. Why does God elevate us? Why does God celebrate us? Why does God lift us up? Why does God bless us? Why does God, you know, do everything he can to give us everything we need so that we can fulfill his purpose through us? Why does he do that? It's not because we're good. You know that. You know you more than most people know you, right? You see you in the dark. You know how messed up you are. I know how messed up I am. I know how much I missed the mark. And yet, God still celebrates us. Makes no sense. And so, we have to remember that when somebody gets blessed or someone, when you're looking at someone else's life, let's just say you see someone else get blessed, don't compare yourself to them and don't devalue what happened to them. Celebrate them. It'll keep you from comparing your life to them, and it'll allow you to go, man, God elevated me. I'm glad God blessed me. I'm glad God blessed them. Man, it's such a good thing to see. It's such a good thing to remember. Saul forgot that the only reason he was king, come on, if you go back and read in 1 Samuel, is because Samuel walked up to him and anointed him on behalf of God. He did not earn it. He forgot. Convenient amnesia in that moment. He thought he earned it all. He thought he was the man. He thought he was the one. He was picked, y'all. He didn't pick himself. And so when you forget that God was the one who, in fact, I love how James chapter one says, he says, every good thing, every good, every, every in the Greek there means every, everything. Everything good and perfect and perfect gift is from above. It's from God. You and I own nothing. We steward everything. 
It's been given to us from God. So since God gave it to us, we can celebrate everything that's been given to other people. Come on. Let's not be comparison and fall into the trap of going, they've got that. Why do they get that? I'm going to criticize. I'm going to show them. I'm going to devalue. I'm going to make sure. And then when they, something bad happens to them, I'm going to secretly feel good about it. Because I was too stuck with comparison. I'll get off of that because most of y'all don't like it. Number two, stop finding your identity in things that, that, that are measured. We struggle with comparison when we find our identity in things that are measured. It's not that you can't measure. It's that you find your identity in measuring. You should measure. You should know what's inside of your bank account. Your identity shouldn't be attached to it, though. You should know where you are in the business world and your career path and your process and where you're trying to go. But your identity should not be found in your career. Come on. You should know where your kids are. In their location, in their life, in their spirit. Come on. You got you to know where they are. But your identity is not in your kids. Your identity is found in something that... that, that, that can't be taken away, and it's, it's God. I like what verse 7 says. This was their song. Saul has killed thousands, and David is ten thousands. Now, you can't know the number unless you measure. It wasn't that they, they, that the, the, they were concerned or they messed up in measuring. It was that they, they, Saul took it personally. He started to see, like, what? wait a minute. I'm king. And he forgot, started looking at what God called David to do. Come on. Instead of what God called him to do. So the question you have to ask yourself if you're taking notes is, am I doing what God asked me to do? Not what he asked someone else to do. Not what my mom asked me to do. Not what my cousins asked me to do. Not what my friends said I should do. Am I doing what what culture tells me to do or a movie told me, am I doing what God told me to do? Am I, am I living my life the way God has directed me? Am I, am I, am I testing myself? Am I concerned with myself? Like we got to get our eyes off the measurables, especially in our relationship with God. Now, Paul was concerned about this in the New Testament church, the New Testament Bible. Paul wrote two thirds ish of the New Testament was in a great apostle or a church planter and started and trained church leaders inside the new early era of the church. And he planted churches in different cities. And there was a church in Corinth, which is a city. And he wrote a letter to them, which is 2 Corinthians. That's a letter to them. And he told them, I'm concerned with what you're doing with this idea of comparison in your relationship with God. I'll read it to you. He said, 2 Corinthians says, not that we dare to classify or compare. There it is, compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. Like there's some people who are super spiritual. Saul was like, and Paul really here was like, his name was Saul before. He said, Paul goes, I, I'm, I know because I was one of them. Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, knew everything about, he knew the Torah inside out. He could Bible wordsmith you. He could do like the Bible sword drills. You know, he can do all that better than anybody. And he says, we don't do that anymore. He says, but when, we, when they measure, they being the, 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 the church, he said, there's a Pharisee spirit infiltrating the church. And it's wrong because it's supposed to be centered on the gospel of Jesus and what he did, not what you do. He says, when they measure themselves with one another and compare themselves with one another, so everybody walks into the church and goes, are you, how, how spiritual are you? How spiritual are you? And then how spiritual are you? And I bet, you, you, oh, you read one time a day in the Torah? I read twice. Oh, you, oh, you, 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 you pray only three times a day? I pray through four times a day. They compare themselves with one another, and he goes, and this is the result. Without understanding. You, you don't get it. You have forgotten what the gospel of Jesus Christ was centered on. Now, Interestingly enough, 
That church struggled with it. That era of church struggled with it. Our era of church struggles with it. And just so you know, that's more prominent, prominent out here, let's say in Texas or the Bible Belt, than it would be, see, where I come from in California, where maybe it's more of a godless culture than it is more of a God-centered culture here. Because most of us all come from some religion background in this area because grandma always took you to church. We're still kind of in that one generation away a little bit. And because, listen, because you naturally drive towards that, you, you, we, we can get caught in measuring ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people. And when you do that in church, let me just tell you, when you do that in church, two things happen, and they're both bad. When you, you, when you compare your life to other people's lives, especially when it comes to relationship with God, pride sets in if you can do it. Because when you find out you prayed more, you feel prideful. Or when you feel like you didn't and you couldn't measure up to all the measurables that have to do with being a Christian, you quit because you give up because you say it's a lose-lose situation. And it is because you're comparing your life to other people. Paul was trying to convince the church and tell them, you're missing out on the point of what the church was all about. The Bible is not a magnifying glass to find out what's everybody else's wrong with everyone else's life. It's a mirror for you to see what's wrong with you. In fact, he goes on to say that in, verse, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says this, examine everyone else. Ex- don't forget to look and take your Bible and check everyone else's spirituality. So when you do that, everybody will be really good. He says, examine yourselves. Everybody say me. That's who he's talking to. To see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. You, 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 can we stop walking around with our Bibles inside church and saying things that we think make us sound super holy to people who have not missed and made up to the mark that you think they should be at? And you use it as a magnifying glass. And have you ever noticed that when you leave a magnifying glass on something for a long period of time, with the sun. Does anybody ever notice what happens? Yeah, you burn. And a lot of people have been burned with this book. Not by non-Christians. Christians. Thinking you, you, you found their flaw. And since you told them their sin, now they're going to change. And that works, doesn't it? Did it work for you? You know your sin. Did you stop? It's a mirror. You're supposed to look at yourself. And here's how it looks. So I'm going to have a house moment. Okay, so if you're a guest in here, this isn't for you. Congratulations. Free hall pass. You don't, you don't, this isn't for you. This is for our family. If you come to our church and this is your home and this is your family and I'm your pastor, this is for, this, this is our DNA as a family. This is how it sounds because I'm going to run this demon out of our church because it's in every church and it always, he tries to come back in and it sounds super holy. It really does. It sounds super holy. Like you care. And you really want to help them be better Christian. But this is what it sounds like. I'll give you an example. When it comes to, let's say, singing songs or worship, I've heard people come in and go, well, they don't lift their hands. They don't really know how to worship God. They don't close their eyes when they worship. They don't know what true worship is. And then they start quoting Bible. They're going to worship in spirit and in truth. Stop. All you're doing is you're comparing your measurables to their measurables, and we just found out when you compare, Paul didn't seem to like it. Paul seemed to know that that was wrong, 
And anytime you do that, you become prideful or you quit. There is no win. Here's another way I've heard it. They only read, they read this, the New International Version of the Bible. They don't read the real Bible. I mean, why would you ever read that? I mean, that's crazy. They need to ring King Jimmy. King James is the best. <laughs> King Jimmy, I mean, I'm telling you, King Jimmy, he knows. He knows. Just so you know, King Jimmy was made after Jesus too. It's a translation. Now, I love King James. Don't, mis mis don't mistake what I'm saying. I love it. I read it. I study it. I honor that translation. But it's a translation. And when you measure your, come on, your holiness to their holiness, it sounds ugly. And you think it sounds, you think it sounds so cool and so religious, and you're like, I'm so good. I'm standing up for the word of God. No, you're not. You're using it as a magnifier to burn other people. Here, here, here's another one. They only serve one time a month. I serve two. You're welcome. They, they only give, they don't serve. They only serve, they don't give. They only do, you, it's like we walk around trying to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. And you forgot, Paul said, you forgot, you test your, your, yourself, stop comparing yourself in the church. What if we just walked in and tried to be as close to the Bible as possible? You worry about you, I'll worry about me, and hopefully one day we'll be like Jesus. If we do that, the church will be better. We'll be more of a family. And then we'll find out really what our purpose is in life because we're not comparing things to other people. We don't find our identity in doing in the Christian faith. We find our identity in done. Jesus did it. It's over. It's over. Test yourselves. Number three is this. I'm off of that. Guess. Welcome back. All right. <laughs> Number three, and this is it. Stop allowing fear and anger to, to make you territorial. Stop allowing fear and anger to make you territory. We're talking about how to stop comparison, how to kill comparison. We struggle with comparison if you are territorial. I like what verse 8 says. It says, this made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Do you hear it? Come on, you got to hear it, right? This is Saul's issue. All the time. He sounds, he's just whiny. You're, you're, you're whiny. I wonder, he, he, next they'll be making them their king. <laughs> you hear it? I bet there were people in his court going like, Saul, what are you talking about? Just be secure. Just celebrate others. What are you talking You're king. You're king, man. Act like it. And whenever we get into comparing ourselves, it, makes, it brings out the worst in us. It, makes the, it, it just makes us into whiny, complainy, angry, overcritical, self-righteous, prideful people. Saul compares his victories, then he becomes fearful and angry, then he believes the worst about David, and then all of a sudden, see what happens, he becomes territorial, and he's like, mine, this kingdom's mine, we got to kill him, this is my territory, it's my kingdom. He believed a false belief that if I celebrate David, I'm going to lose my kingdom. Now, that's not a false belief in any of us, but it could be, and sometimes when you compare the enemy likes to whisper, and he goes, man, he gave him that. You better, you better hold on to what you got. You better hold on. 
fear and anger and resentment. Actually, it's a, it's a kind of a vicious cycle. Comparison does this. This is the, like the comparison cycle of it. So comparison will ultimately lead you to feeling insecure because then you compared and you didn't realize you didn't have what he had. And then all of a sudden, it'll lead you to being fearful because when you get fearful, that's when you start to really freak out. Then it'll lead you to actually being kind of greedy because you become makes you territorial. And it's in these moments right here, you become super territorial. Then you become greedy. Greedy ultimately leads you to having lost potential because when you're greedy and you're not generous, you lose out what God could give you. And so you lose potential. And then it ultimately leads you back to comparing your life to other people who got more than you. Do you see it? And round and round we go on Facebook and on Instagram and on TikTok and whatever you're on now. (laughs) And you're like, you never live secure and content. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is there a place in my life where I'm territorial? Is there a place in my life where I'm territorial? Comparison makes you have a really small view of God. It makes you feel like God's in a zero-sum game. Which means like, like his blessings are finite and limited. And it makes us ratchet up a fear in us that if God blessed you, there's not enough for me. Because you compared your pile to their pile. You, 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 and you thought God was limited in your life. Saul thought. God's kingdom was limited. His kingdom was limited. He forgot that he serves the God of more than enough. I'm going to close with this. My son, I have five young boys, and uh, pray for me. And uh, my, my dinner time table is fun because we love to talk, and we really are committed to having dinner time. And one day I was making macaroni and cheese for my children, and... Um, you know, I got to make like five boxes for them because they're just, just kids everywhere. And so I'm like, so I'm making the macaroni and cheese. And I have kids from 12-year-old down to two. And so they're all sitting at the table and waiting. They have their plates all out. And, you know, I walk up with the pot of macaroni and cheese and started with my oldest. And I put the big spoon of my 12-year-olds, and they, they're a lot. I mean, they're 12, you know, so they eat like crazy. It's a big old pile, big old pile. On down to my, my little two-year-old. Well, I got to my five-year-old, who was named Judah, and, you know, he's little, you know, and I'm like, here you go, babe. So I put a little pile on his, ta- on his thing, and it's obviously smaller than his 12-year-old brother, and I saw him do this. He, I put that on there, and he goes, he goes, thank you, and he looks down, and he goes, <laughs> kind of gives me that look. And then he did this. I'm not kidding you. Like, if this is our table, he kind of. And he looked over at his brother's pile and compared it to his pile he had on his plate. And he, he looked at it and he goes, hey, no fair. His pile's bigger than my pile. And I said, son, you're littler. Like, you don't need all of that. How many of y'all know, like, kids love to waste stuff? Y'all ever give them like the mustard bottle and they squeeze the whole tube out? They use like few things of it. You throw half of it away. Come on. Y'all had that? And you're like, son, just do little by little. Teach them. I'm trying to teach them. And I'm like, son, listen, you're little. Eat that. I think that's a good size for you. And I said, if you want more, I'll give you more. And he goes, okay. And, And you ever give a dog a bone and then try to take it away from him? You ever doing that? He, he, he was like, he ate like this. I've never seen it. 
he put his arm around his plate and he was eating like this. And I was like, I walked up and I was like, son, can I, you ever do that? You ever take a fry from your kid's happy meal? You're just like, that looks good. Just me? Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so I'm like, hey, can I have some? Oh, that looks good. Let me have some of my grilled cheese. He goes, no, no, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I said, son, I said, stop. I put my pot down. I walked over to the, our, our pantry. And like I told you, I, I, like, I have a Costco size, size thing of macaroni and cheese. I like 75 boxes. <laughs> and I walked them over and I dropped them onto the table. I said, son, you see all that? He goes, yes, daddy. I said, I can give you more. I said, I can go back to the store and buy a thousand boxes of macaroni and cheese. You will never run out. I said, you, you thought it was limited. It's unlimited, son. So eat all that. There's more. I said, but if someone asks you for it, share, be generous. I said, you don't have to worry about what your brother has. It was when he looked, come on, it was when he looked and noticed that his brother had more, it made him fearful that there was not enough and therefore made him territorial of what God gave him. And what happened was, is when you compare your life, you, when you compare your pile to your neighbor's pile, you always lose and you always think God is limited. I'm just telling you, celebrate them. Don't devalue what they got, celebrate them. Don't put your identity in measurables. You should measure things, but man, just be good with it. We should know what it is, but don't put your identity in. And finally, don't allow fear and anger to come in and make you territorial what God gave you. If you hold your life like this, he can't give you anything into your hand. We, we don't own any of it. And when I showed him that macaroni and cheese, he was like, oh, you want some? You okay, we'll give it away. He knew. And last time I checked, my Bible says... God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I like this scripture. Ephesians chapter 3 says, I pray from his glorious unlimited. Everybody say that. Unlimited. Yeah, he don't have limits. Last time I checked, he paved his streets in gold. He probably don't have a money issue. And if we learn to live like that without comparison, I promise you can get to your purpose. And that's my prayer for you today.